It is so good to be together this morning as God's family, and again, we want to welcome you uh, this morning. If you're a guest with us, uh, we're so glad that you're here, and uh, we love new people at Hope. Uh, That's why we exist, uh, to reach out to the world around us and share the everlasting love uh, of Jesus Christ. We're in the middle of a series. We actually just kicked it off last week, so week two uh, of a brand new series that we kicked off after Easter, and it's called The Acts of the Apostles, and we're looking at the book of Acts, A-C-T-S, not A-X-E. Is that how you spell Acts, or just A-X? Well, one's the spray. Now you're going to remember what you talked about today. A-C-T-S, Acts, the book of Acts that comes after the Gospels, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in the New Testament. And this book, which basically gives us the history of how the church began. We're reading through this story together of how this ragtag group of men and women, very similar to you and I here this morning, were set on fire by the message of Jesus Christ and then continued out the greatest, what has become the greatest movement in the history of the world. That's what a church is. Church is a movement. The church is not a building. The church is not just a worship service, although things are a part of it. Primarily, the church is a movement. It's a movement of Jesus, and he's changing lives, and that's the reason that you and I are gathered here today. So if you're just getting caught up today or unfamiliar with this story, I'm going to give you kind of a snapshot of the book of Acts, and actually a really easy way to remember it, how the church got started. And it's three simple words. It's be, do, go. Let's say that together. Be, do, go. And if you can remember be, do, and go, it kind of gives you an outline or a framework for what happened in the book of Acts. So first of all, we know that in the beginning of the book, if you want to flip there, you can, and just kind of flip through the story here together. In Acts chapter 1, the story begins with these early followers of Jesus gathering together or being together. That's the B part. Jesus said, stay there, and I'm going to come, and I'm going to empower you with my Holy Spirit, which he does. On the day of Pentecost, he comes, and he fills up this group of believers with the Holy Spirit, and then they start sharing his message everywhere that they go, and the church started to grow, and so they had to gather and organize themselves, and so they do life together. That's the do part. They start doing the life of Jesus together, and so last week we looked at the life of the early church and how they organized themselves, not necessarily in rows, but more so in circles, in small groups, that long before any church service or anything like that, There was house churches. There were small groups. The church started in cities, much like Des Moines, big cities, and people spent time together in each other's homes and prayer and scripture and serving those in need. And so the church grew because people knew that they needed each other. People knew that they needed each other and that they loved being together and talking about the greatest thing in the world, the gospel of Jesus Christ. But it doesn't end there because we know Good news has a habit of traveling fast. When there's good news to be known, it travels fast. And that news was that Jesus was back from the dead. And that this message wasn't just for the Jews anymore. It wasn't just for the people of Jerusalem, but started to expand all across the region. After all, Jesus' final words were, Go and make disciples of all nations. He didn't say, Go and make disciples of just the people in your City. The message of Christianity could not be stopped. It's cross-cultural, it's cross-regional, it's worldwide. And so Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations, not just Israel. So be, do, and then go and make disciples. That's Acts 
in a nutshell, if you can remember that. And so today, we're going to spend our time looking a little bit deeper into the go, into that part of the story. And so wherever they go, the message of Jesus is changing lives. And one of the lives, lives that's radically changed through this is a guy named Saul. You may know him as Paul, but as Saul, he actually persecuted Christians, this was his, his, his former life, his former way of being, and he tried to stomp out the movement. But as you can read uh, in Acts, and we're actually going to talk about this in a few weeks, God confronts Saul on the road, changes his life, makes him a radical follower of Jesus, and changes his name to Paul. And Paul goes on to become one of the greatest apostles in the early church, and he basically wrote the back third of your Bible. If you look at that today, that's because God changed someone's life. You have that in your hands this morning. And so Paul decides to do something really crazy and he starts traveling. And this is kind of a, a map of some of Paul's first travels as, as he goes out. And so he starts taking this news outside of Judea, the region of Judea, and outside of Jerusalem, and he starts taking it to all these places around the region, to other countries, and to modern-day Turkey, and to areas of Asia. So Christianity is spreading out of Jerusalem now and going all over the place. And these, those little black dots start to represent these little ecclesias or these little churches, these little gatherings of Christ followers. The problem is... All these people that are in the churches are not Jews. This is the first time that the church has expanded to what we call the Gentiles. You and I are Gentiles. If you are not Jewish and you are here this morning, we are Gentiles. And that is what was happening in our story today. And so God has, has done something very unusual, Paul starts to preach. Paul goes to all these cities and he starts preaching in the synagogues and he starts preaching in the countryside. He said, God has done something very unusual. It's the fulfillment, Paul says, of all religion. God has finally answered the question that all of us, regardless of our religious background, are asking, how do I make peace with God? Right? What do I do with my sin? What do I do with my brokenness? with our sin? How do you have peace with God in this life? And God has answered this question once and for all by sending Jesus and offering his life in exchange for your sin. It's the greatest news ever. And this brings us to our passage today. So if you've got your Bibles, open up to Acts 15. So Paul's out on the countryside planting churches and traveling all over the region doing that. Meanwhile, back at the ranch, isn't that what they say? Back at the ranch, right? Okay, so meanwhile, back at the ranch, back in Jerusalem, Jerusalem's sort of the, the hub of the Christian movement. You can see Jerusalem way down there on the bottom. It's the farthest black down there, right uh, close to the Mediterranean Sea. So Jerusalem's kind of the, the hub, the center of Christianity. And a controversy starts brewing in Jerusalem, and it's a controversy that could not be more relevant to us today. Because this controversy has everything to do with some of the very things that you might have experienced in church growing up. It has to do with the very reason that some of you, well many of you, are maybe now just getting back into the church after a long time. 
This controversy is why so many of the people that you know today, friends and family, the thousands of people that fill this city that you see every single day, long to be spiritual people, long to have a relationship with God, but are absolutely convinced they are never going to find it in the church. You ever talk to somebody like that? You know, I, I really like Jesus, they say, but I'm not so big on the church. His followers, eh, not so much. That's what this controversy is about, and here's what it was about, the question. Who should be a part of the church? That was the controversy. Who's accepted? Who's in and who's out? Who gets in? How good do you have to be? How many rules do you have to keep? How spiritual do you need to be to be a part of the church? How many bad habits, how many of those ugly habits in your life do you have to kick to the curb before you can be accepted? Ultimately, the question is, is the church really for someone like me? And maybe you've asked that question before. And if so, you should find your place in the story today. Not much has changed in 2,000 years, unfortunately. And so this question makes a lot of sense. If we get a little background to uh, the story that was read for us in Acts 15. Uh, in, the, in the first century, one of the main religions in, in the area was definitely Judaism. And as a good Jew, when we say they kept the commandments or they kept the law, we think of the Ten Commandments, right? That's what we know. There's ten of them. But for a good Jew, not only was there the ten, but there was over 600 laws that needed to be kept and that, that made you right with God if you obeyed them. And they believed, a good Jew believed that that Jesus or this new movement of Christianity that had sprung up was in addition to Judaism, right? So they believe, I'm going to keep on doing everything I've been doing here that my ancestors have done for hundreds and thousands of years, and we'll just kind of take Jesus and Velcro him onto the side, right? And that's what my religion is, and that's what was happening. And they believe that in order to become a Christian, you first had to become Jewish. In order to join the Jesus club, you needed to join the Moses club, right? Because he was kind of the main guy uh, in, in their history at that time. But the problem is, remember the map that we showed earlier? The problem is all those new churches that were springing up, the message that Paul was speaking to them was not Judaism plus Jesus. It was just Jesus. Jesus alone. So we've got a little controversy on our hands, right? These people in the churches, these Gentiles out there, people like you and I are going, oh, wait a minute. What? You're, you're confusing me. I'm getting mixed messages here. Is it Jesus plus rules or is it just Jesus? Oh, wait a minute. When, when, when Paul shared the gospel with us, he said, all we have to do is trust in the grace that God's already given us through faith, not through obedience. We're trusting in what Jesus has already done, not what we could do. 
But now what would happen is the Jews would send out people from Jerusalem and they'd kind of follow Paul around. And when Paul would leave a church and, and get it healthy and planted in the gospel, Paul would leave and then the, the, the church in Jerusalem would send a representative following Paul back into the church he just was and say, oh, no, 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 no. It's really not that easy, right? There's a little bit more to it. And so this controversy starts to stir up. Now, before you say, oh, those silly Jews, they don't get it, they don't understand the gospel, you have to understand, when Jesus came, they hear, heard Jesus say things like, I didn't come to abolish the law. I didn't come to throw out the law. I came to fulfill it. So you could see how they would interpret that as, oh, Jesus is a fan of the law, right? So we can be Jews, and we can be for Jesus, and so they're asking the question, what is required to be a Christian? And that sets the stage for our story today. So Acts 15. Now, as we get into this, I know, I think most of the kids are out at KQ, but just want to warn you a little bit. Some of this gets a little uh, PG-13-ish, okay? So I think all of you can handle it, but it's in the Bible. So we're going to pause and we're going to look at something here that might just make you a little bit uncomfortable. But heaven forbid we make you feel uncomfortable in church, right? So that's what we're going to do today. Uh, but it's just incredible what controversy the early church got tripped up on. So there's a reason that we have great environments for kids like Kingdom Quest, and you should put them there. That's why they're there. So now that I have your attention, here we go. Acts 15, verse 1, up on the screen here. While Paul and Barnabas were at Antioch of Syria, so one of the new churches, Gentile churches, some men from Judea arrived and began to teach the believers. Go ahead and go to the next slide. This is what they said. Unless you are circumcised as required by the law of Moses, you cannot be saved. So imagine you're one of these new Gentile, these, these early Christians, and you hear that, and you're going, Whoa, whoa, hold on a second here. Wait, 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 wait a minute. Unless, unless you have a little surgery, you cannot be a Christian? Now, wait a minute, that's, that's not what Paul, Paul didn't tell us about that part. He didn't tell us about the little cutting surgery part, right? But the Jews are saying, no, if you want to be Christians, you have to have this nice little procedure that every other young Jewish boy has in order to be a Christian. This, this, the sacred marking that they were a Jew. And if you don't know what the, the whole circumcision thing is about, just ask your doctor, not your pastor. Okay? Men, are you still with me? Guys, still with me? Nobody's checking out? Okay, okay. So the question was, surgery or no salvation? That was the issue. Issue. At first, so what this meant was, uh, I'm thinking that the new member class was primarily women and children, right? <laughs> guys, you know what I'm talking about, right? So the guys are all back out in the car, you know, I'm gonna, honey, uh, brand new Gentile, I love the whole Jesus thing, but honey, why don't you and the kids go in, and I'm just gonna kind of hang out here uh, over in the car, just go ahead and you can, you can do that, right? So a little awkward, but... We would like to just skip over things like this, but you've got to think about it. This was serious business. These Jews really, really wanted to be faithful to Jesus, 
but they still believed that in order to join the Jesus Club, you had to join the Moses Club. And it was so hard for them to open up their hands and let loose their grasp on religion. So moving on, verse 2. Paul and Barnabas disagreed with them, arguing vehemently. I love that word, vehemently. They're upset. Finally, the church decided to send Paul and Barnabas to Jerusalem. It's like, okay, we're going to send these guys down there, and we're going to get this controversy cleared up once and for all to find out why the church in Jerusalem is teaching something totally different than what we're teaching. So skip ahead to verse 4. When they arrived... Go ahead and skip. There you go. When they arrived in Jerusalem, Paul and Barnabas were welcomed by the whole church, including the apostles and elders, and they reported everything God had done through them. So Paul shows up. He said, okay, before we get into the debate, just time out a second. Time out, Paul says. I've got some good news to share. I don't know what's been going on in here in Jerusalem, but this Jesus thing, it's really catching on, right? He's He's alive, and he's showing up in people's lives, and he's changing lives in all these Gentiles. And you can imagine the council in Jerusalem goes, Gentiles? What? You're saying they can become like us now? And watch what happens. Verse verse, uh, 5 says this. But then some of the believers who belonged to the sect of the Pharisees, remember the Pharisees, we've learned about them uh, the last few months, uh, stood up and said, so some of the believers, did you notice that? Some of the Pharisees actually became followers of Jesus, right? But it's these same Pharisees that are having a hard time letting go. So some of the Pharisees stood up and insisted, these Gentile converts must be circumcised, sorry guys, and required to follow the law of Moses. So believe it or not, we have some Pharisees that want to follow Jesus, but they can't let it go. They're so committed to the law. And they're saying, you know what? I, like, I know Jesus died for everybody, but what you're telling me is that these new converts, they don't even have to act like us to belong with us. I mean, We've tried to be faithful to the the, the, the Ten Commandments and all these hundreds of other commandments since childhood. And and we had to go through, not to mention the little snippety-snip thing, and, and that was not easy. So we had to go through that whole thing, and now it's just Jesus? Yeah, Paul says. It's just grace. Now, it's easy for us to sit here 2,000 years later and look at a story like this and say, well, yeah, duh, we know it's just grace, right? That's one of the centerpieces of the the Christian faith and of our Lutheran heritage as well. Martin Luther, the guy who started the Lutheran church, grace alone, Christ alone, some of his main tenets. But at the time, this controversy wasn't just about some silly rules. This controversy was about the heart of Christianity, This is like a make it or break it time for the church. Is this movement going to die? Is it going to tank after a few years? Or is it going to change the course of history? Having the right foundation in our lives is everything. Having the right foundation means everything. And to help make this point, I thought we'd play a little game this morning. Feel like playing a game? Okay, even if you don't, we're going to play one anyway. So loosen up a little bit, people, okay? So we're going to play a game. Does anybody remember the game Tribond? 
Wow, are you serious? Okay, let me explain. Very popular game, as you can tell. So, uh, I love this game. <laughs> That's unbelievable. Wow. That's fun. Um, so I love this game growing up. And the basic idea is that you get a card, and on that card, there's three words. Okay, so you read off these three words, and they all have something in common. Okay, so to give you an example, we'll do one. So the first one of you to just yell at the answer wins. Okay, this is an all play. It's interactive, right? So I drew the all play card. That's all of you, okay? So here we go. The first one to, to tell me what these three things have in common, just yell it out. A tree, a car, and an elephant. Good, okay. Started easy one, good, okay. You win a pat on the back. All right, we'll do one more just for good measure. Okay, how about this one, a little harder. An onion, the Olympics, and a wedding. Okay, good. See, you're getting it. All right, I want you on my team. This is good. All right. Okay, so last one, and this one I kind of made up, so forgive me if it's kind of silly, okay? So I made this one up. We've got, uh, go ahead and go to the next slide. How about these three things? The game of Jenga, your house, and everybody's favorite, angry birds. What's that? Eggs? Oh, gosh, <laughs> she said eggs. Yeah, foundation, right? The three, those three things have in common is a foundation. If you've ever played the game of Jenga, which we have a little visual up here this morning, if you've ever played the game of Jenga, you know if you've got a wobbly foundation, which this one is a little bit wobbly, it's not going to stand. You pull out the wrong brick, it crashes down. Those of you that uh, maybe have family or friends in the, kind of the Midwest area, you know with these recent uh, storms and tornadoes, how important a foundation is to a house. And I, has anybody played Angry Birds? Are you addicted to it? Are you past that? Okay. I just started and my wife says, you are so behind the times. That, that was so last month, right? So... Angry birds, you shoot these little birds out of a slingshot and you try to knock things over and you know that if it doesn't have a firm foundation, it all comes crashing down and you squash the little green things. The <laughs> Don't get distracted. The right foundation, it changes everything. It's vitally important. And that's the question that the Church of Jerusalem was asking. What is it that's going to be at the very foundation of Christianity. Before we start building and building and building for thousands of years, what is at the core? What's at the very foundation? What is everything else built on? Is it Judaism? Is it rules and laws? Or is it Jesus? And that's why, back to our story, Peter stands up. And I think he would agree with you. So verse 8, let's look at this. Peter stands up and he says this. I think go ahead and go to the next slide. Oh, never mind. That one's coming up. Verse 8. God knows people's hearts. And he confirmed that he accepts Gentiles. Listen to this. By giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. Skip down to verse 11 and read this together. We believe that we are all saved the same way by the undeserved grace of the Lord Jesus. Did you get that? catch that? Undeserved grace. Meaning you can't earn it. Meaning it's already yours. 
You see, Paul picks up where Peter left off here, and, and, and Paul, in one of his favorite, uh, uh, his famous books to the church of Ephesus, the book of Ephesians, he says this, and, and this is a very famous passage as well. Let's read this one together. Go ahead and go to the next slide. Paul writes this, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Not from yourselves, not from being good enough, not from surgeries. Free. You are free. Now think about it for a second. If you receive a free gift, if you're sitting there on your birthday or you're sitting there in Christmas and your parents or, or a friend or a sibling gives you a gift and say, it's for your birthday, it's for Christmas, it's because I love you, it's because we're family. Wouldn't it be silly if you said, yeah, let me just pull out my checkbook here. Uh, how much do I owe you for that? Now that'd be a little silly, wouldn't it? It defeats the purpose of a free gift. How silly would that be? But I wonder how often you and I do the same thing. In the free gift of God that's offered to us every single day, by the way that we live our life, we're whipping out our checkbook and we're saying, okay, Jesus, how much do I owe you for that salvation? How much do I owe you for that? What, what, what can I do for you? Now, we may not uh, adhere to a bunch of strange Jewish rituals, but without knowing it, we make up some of our own versions of Christianity, our own version of what I call Jesus plus, okay? Math problems that don't work. Jesus plus. And the first one goes a little bit something like this. Maybe for you, it's Jesus plus practices. And when I say practices, I mean spiritual practices. These, these practices that are, that are vitally important to our growth, but it gets twisted and it goes something like this. Oh, you know, Jesus, I know, I know, I know, I know, I can't earn your love, but, but man, certainly must, you must be disappointed with me recently. I mean, I... You know what? I think I've only been to church once this month, and, and I, you know, I keep trying to get that Bible reading plan together, and that I, that I was my New Year's resolution, and, you know, I, but I just get so busy in prayer. Oh, don't even get me started on prayer. I mean, what a failure I am. I, I can't even remember the last time that I just sat down and prayed, and I didn't have a thousand different things running through my mind. Maybe that's you, or maybe for you it's the opposite. You know, if I could. If I could just get over that sin, if I could just get over that addictive behavior, if I could just get over that ugly habit, uh, if, if, if people only knew the things that I have done and continue to do, and then the famous words that I hear all the time, uh, you know, I guess I'm just not a very good Christian. I don't believe in that statement, by the way. I don't think there's good Christians and bad Christians. <laughs> there's sinners that have been saved by grace and there's sinners that just can't accept that grace. If you're a Christian and you're following Jesus and you fall down, he's going to pick you right back up. That's what grace is. That's what forgiveness is. So maybe that's not, it's not Jesus plus practices for you, but, but your form of Christianity is Jesus plus performance. And this one sounds similar, but it's a little bit different. Something like, oh, you know, Jesus, I know, I know, I know. I read all the time. Your grace is enough for me. 
your grace is enough for me, but you know what? I'm not a good enough husband. I'm not a good enough wife. I'm not a, I'm not a good enough mother or father. Because you know what? No matter how hard I try, it feels like I'm always letting someone down. I, 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 and I just hope my best is good enough. Because heaven forbid my, my child would make a bad decision and that could reflect on me. Even more so, you know, with me and my spouse, can, can you imagine if people at church actually found out the state of our marriage? Can you imagine what our Christian friends would think if they found out that we have deep issues in our marriage and that we argue a lot? So you know what? We'll just kind of put on our happy face every single Sunday. Do you want to know what the problem is with the whole fake it till you'll make it thing? You never make it. That's where the whole thing falls apart. You'll never make it because you're never going to be good enough on your own. As a spouse, as a parent, as a follower of Christ, you're never going to be good enough on your own strength. And that brings us to the good news today. Back to the story, back to verse 8. Couldn't be more relevant for us today. Verse 8. Peter says this, God who knows the heart showed that he accepted them, all of us, the Gentiles, by giving the Holy Spirit to them just as he did to us. Now listen closely to this, to verse 9. He did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by what? Faith. And that's the hinge of the whole thing. Faith. Grace through faith. Faith that the ocean of God's grace is big enough for you. I got a pretty incredible glimpse of what that truth is like a few years ago. My brother and I found ourselves at Daytona Beach in Florida. I don't know how many of you have been to the ocean before, but yeah, it is an absolutely incredible thing. So we actually had uh, quite a drive. Our hotel was about an hour and a half from the beach. We're, uh, you know, cheap bachelors uh, at the time. And so uh, our, our hotel is a long way from the beach and it is like 110 degrees that day. And we're driving and just as we get going, the air conditioning goes out on our car. And it is rough. I mean, I, I, we have humidity here, uh, but it was humid there that day. It, it was sticky. It was gross. And even if we put the windows down, it just smelled weird. And it was just, we were hot. We were sticky. So over an hour and a half, we are just drenched. We are sweating. And our, and our legs are sticking to the seats, you know, the vinyl seats. And just gross and sticky. And, and by the time we get there, we're just drenched in icky, slimy, icky sweat. And it's gross. And so we are so ready to just run and jump in the ocean. So we get down to the beach and is, is more beautiful than I can remember it, even as a child. And so I look at my brother and I say, Nathan, I'll race you. And so we're like all the way back, like the pier, not even to the beach yet, right? And there's all these tourists around and everything like that. And so we just take off uh, and, and we just go running and, and across the beach 
and uh, something like that, and just head first into the waves, and we run into the waves, and we do this again and again, just getting knocked down by the waves, and you come back, and you run into the waves again, and you get knocked down, and you're just overwhelmed by it all. And, and I'm not sure why, but after a while, we were having so much fun that we're like, well, we kind of feel manly, so we should probably yell something, right? And the only thing I could think of was William Wallace yelling Braveheart. So here's two pale, white-skinned Iowa boys at the beach in their swimming trunks, running from one end of the beach into the ocean going, freedom! And they're just running into the waves. We probably look like complete uh, fools, uh, screaming at the top of our young lungs, only to get lost in the waves again and again and again, completely forgetting how gross, how disgusting we just were. Completely at the mercy of every wave. Instead of fighting it, you know, you, you stand out in the ocean. Instead of fighting it, you just receive it. You know it's going to overwhelm you because it's so big. It's so vast. It's so great. And you just kind of let it wash over you. And the same is true with God's grace for you today. Imagine just for a moment how silly it would have been. You remember how icky and gross? If we were going to a pool, we probably should have showered first, right? Just imagine this scenario. Imagine how silly it would have been for us, covered in our dirty, gross sweat, to be standing there in front of the Atlantic Ocean. And I turn to Nathan and I say, you know, um... I think I'm going to head over to that little public bathroom over there and just kind of try to wash up and, 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 and wash my arms and legs and, and just try to get some of the filth off me. And if I try really, really hard, I'll be able to get clean. So I'm just going to go over here to the sink and I'm just going to kind of wash a little bit and just, just try to do the best I can to get clean. And then I'll, I'll come join you when I'm, I'm done with that and then we'll go jump in the ocean. That's kind of dumb, don't you think? Because I wouldn't want to run into the ocean dirty, right? When Peter stands up at the council that day, he says this in verse 9, God did not discriminate between us and them, Jews and Gentiles, for he purified their hearts by faith. And when he said that to the council, he was saying to all the higher-up religious people that day. And he's saying to all of us here today, why would you waste your life scrambling around in the sink trying to get clean when God offers you the ocean of his grace? Run into the ocean today, folks. It's available for you. Whether it's your first time here today or you've been a Christian your whole life but it still seems too good to be true, you gotta know this morning and listen, listen. God can purify a heart before you purify your life. God can purify your heart before you go and get all cleaned up yourself. God can purify your heart before you get that scripture reading plan in order. God can purify your heart before you go and try to fix your marriage, before you become the world's greatest spouse or parent, if you ever 
get there. God can purify your heart before you overcome all the fears and all the insecurities that you just can't get over. God can purify your heart, meaning he loves you, he accepts you, and he rescues you before you lift one finger to earn it. It's grace. Does that mean that we stop growing, that we stop disciplining ourselves, that we stop uh, working hard at being a parent and a friend and a spouse and, and a follower of Christ? Absolutely not. It doesn't mean we don't work hard. As Paul says, we train like a, like a runner training for a marathon, like a runner training for a race. We work at it with everything that we are, but we run knowing that the race has already been won. We run knowing that our Savior has run the race for us. He's done the performing already. And Jesus looks at you today and he looks at all those Jewish leaders in the council and he says, stop. You can stop trying to clean up yourself in the sink because the ocean is right here. Trust me. Surrender. Let me be good enough for you. What's the foundation of your faith built on today? What you can do or what he has already done? A problem, the problem is that your version of Christianity that's built on how many practices you do, how spiritual you look, how long you've been a Christian, how many Bible studies you've led, how good your church attendance is, what church you happen to belong to, what your salary is, whatever it is, your performance, your goodness as a spouse or a parent, any form of Christianity that is based on any of that other than the gospel of Jesus Christ has a foundation that will not stand. And some of us are living our lives doing that every single day. And then we scramble around trying to put it back together. What Peter told the council that day is that that will never be the foundation of Christianity and it hasn't been the foundation of Christianity for over 2,000 years as this movement has spread. And I want to end by reading this passage to you. Paul picks up where Peter left off. We just need Mary, and then we've got the trio. Paul writes this in Ephesus, to the church of Ephesus in the book of Ephesians 2.19. Consequently, you, including all of us today, are no longer foreigners and strangers, but you are fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household meaning you're invited in. Verse 20, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. I'm not sure what version of Christianity that you've been living, what house that you've been building, but the decision that went down at the council that day says there's a new house that's being built and it's worth telling your friends and your family and everyone who's ever doubted that church could be a place 
for them. Who's ever thought it's just a bunch of self-righteous hypocrites that because this house is, is not built on our goodness, it's built on the chief cornerstone himself, Jesus Christ. Any foundation other than that, well, it's just not going to stand. He is the bottom brick. He is the one holding the entire house up. Anything we could ever do as a church, any service project, any Bible study, any worship service, always has to be based on the gospel of undeserved, merited favor and grace. It is always, and for 2,000 years, the church has been based on the cornerstone, the foundation, Jesus Christ. That house will stand. Because the right foundation is everything. And so we're going to end today by inviting you to be a part of this story. Not to be an audience member, but to be a part of it. And as we go through the rest of this sermon series, it doesn't end with Acts 28, which is the last chapter in Acts. I'm looking at Acts chapter 29. You're it. You are Acts chapter 29. And in a moment, what we're going to do is invite you to come forward. Just as you are coming forward for communion, you're going to come down the middle aisle and we're going to ask you to go to one of these two flats where the bricks are and you're going to pick up some markers like this and we want you to just write your name on a brick, on an individual brick. And if there's not enough, we can do two per brick. That's okay. And as you do, as you approach the house that God is building, when you put your name on that brick, you're saying, I'm in. I'm a part of what God is doing in this church, and it's not about me. It's a declaration of grace. It's saying, I believe in this church, and I'm a part of it, and I want to see it built one brick at a time. I believe that God is doing great things in this city and I want to be a part of it.